And so it begins with our singing of our first Christmas carol, the season of Advent, celebrating the coming of Jesus. The one who came as a baby is our Lord, our Savior, our King. We celebrate him today. Let us give our reverent attention to God's holy word this morning from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And as always, when we read these familiar texts, I pray that their familiarity would not blind us to their meaning and their application in our lives. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. May God bless this, his word to us. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord declares through the prophet Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. There's a fundamental difference between the way God thinks and acts, and the way we think and act. And nothing reveals that difference as much as the Christmas event, the incarnation, 
when God came in Jesus Christ into our world to save us. The way he did it is not the way we would have done it. His way meant involvement and identification with the human condition. We would have tried to accomplish it by remote control, I think. Safe at the distance of heaven. But God got down on his knees in the dirt of the world, so to speak, in order to work his salvation for us. God gave up his right to remain apart and aloof and untouched, and he actually became involved in the predicament that we are in. He came himself to be one of us, to save us. Perhaps you've seen or even worked with one of those sealed chambers which allow technicians to work with dangerous chemicals or radioactive material. It consists of a glass-walled box with two holes cut in it. And in the holes are thick gloves sealed carefully around the cuffs to the side of the chamber so the technician can move and mix and manipulate whatever is in that box without actually touching the hazardous materials. That's not how God chose to work in the world. In Jesus Christ, he touched the world. He exposed himself to that which endangers us. He hazarded a hands-on experience with humanity so that he might save us. His ways are not our ways. I believe that we would have figured out a way to get the job done by remote control. And we probably would have tried to accomplish it with some power and force. We would have assembled the best and the brightest and the biggest of everything to achieve the goal. We would have come up with some clever way to clobber the world with the good news, to make the Christ event inescapable and unavoidable, to compel the the desired response of faith. But God's way is not our way. We would have invaded a city. He came quietly to a stable. We would have sought to impress VIPs, but he spoke to peasants and shepherds. We would have sent a king. He sent a baby. And nobody in the nativity scene reveals that God's ways are not our ways so much as Mary. The earthly mother of the baby Jesus was a nobody by world standards. There was nothing that marked Mary as extraordinary. We would never have picked her out of a crowd of her contemporaries to be the mother of Jesus, but God did. God did. Why this poor, unmarried, teenaged woman to be the bearer of the Son of God? God chose Mary because she was simple enough to believe him. Notice the simplicity in Mary. This simplicity makes her especially fit to be used by God in such a way. 
God speaks through his angel Gabriel, and she listens and believes. She believes the most unbelievable thing. Elizabeth, her cousin, the mother of John the Baptist, said of Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary believed. And she became pregnant by the power of God's Spirit and had a son, the Savior of the world. Now, put yourself in Mary's place at that, that annunciation. Would you have been eager to believe and obey? We guys can't imagine it. I believe that you women scarcely can. As Dee said to me this past week when we were talking about Mary, she's a real tough act to follow. Would you have been eager to believe and obey, or would you not, as I would, have weighed all the factors and ended up by pulling a tevya on God, saying to God something like, thanks God for the favor, but no thanks. This blessing from God, this favor, as Gabriel calls it, was a real complication to Mary's life. Who could have blamed her if she had said no, if she had refused the offer? But Mary possessed a simplicity of obedience that said, if God has chosen to use me in this way, who am I to argue? Who am I to refuse? And she sought no other explanation of this miraculous happening but what the angel of the Lord gave her. And in that simple obedience and trust, she placed herself squarely in in the tradition of countless people of God who down through the centuries have heard God's call to action and have believed and obeyed. And we are called to join them. If Jesus had not been born 2,000 years ago, but instead was to be born today, where would God find those simple enough to believe that God had come in Jesus, that God has entered the world through the body of a teenaged woman as a helpless human being? Our minds would be so cluttered with too many possible alternative explanations, too many reservations, too many doubts to accept that God has chosen to bring our Savior into the world by having him born miraculously at Bethlehem. Mary was simply obedient. God doesn't force people to obey him. He's never chained anyone to a task. We can be certain that Mary could have chosen not to serve God in this way, and that would have been the end of it. She could have said no. After all, there were other women qualified to be the mother of Jesus. 
There were hundreds, perhaps thousands, of Jewish girls who could count King David as an ancestor. All the prophecies of the Christ could have been fulfilled with someone else. But Mary had this added credential of being obedient and believing. And her reply to the angel of the Lord was simple. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. That's the simple obedience that God always uses. The incarnation, God being born as a baby so that he might live and die to save us from the consequences of our sinning is the biggest thing yet in the history of the world. Yet Mary was one of the littlest of people, poor and young and unmarried and teenaged and believing and hopeful and obedient Mary. God indeed does great things with little people. Gabriel's first words to her were, you've found favor with God. The blessing of God rests upon you. Think of what that blessing meant for Mary. It meant pregnancy, which was God's divine act for those who knew, but probably a source of embarrassment from those who didn't know. It meant the hardships of the birth and then the hardships of protecting that child. It meant the heavy burden of knowing that your son was destined for greatness, but that the greatness included death. A sword will pierce your soul, Mary. No wonder she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She had a lot to think about regarding what the favor of God meant for her. For her and for us, blessing carries a burden. And that burden is the burden of obedience. It was true for Mary, and it's true for us. There are only four times in the Gospels where the words of Mary are recorded. The first two are in her conversation with Gabriel. First, there's the wonderment, the surprise. How can this be since I am a virgin? And then there's the surrender, the submission. Let it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. And the third is what we call the magnificat. My soul glorifies, or my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. Mary is rejoicingly obedient. And then the fourth is many years later at the wedding feast in Cana. Jesus' first recorded miracle when he turned water to wine, just at the beginning of his public ministry. They ran out of wine at this party, and they came to Mary, and she told them to do what he, Jesus, tells you to do. Do what he tells you to do. 
And the thread that runs through all four of these words from Mary is the thread of obedience. Mary's understanding of her place in God's plan. As God's humble servant. As the handmaiden, the servant of the Lord. Now it's true, some have made too much of Mary. There's no biblical basis for worshiping her or praying to her or praying through her. And there have been recent events to officially recognize her as the mediator of all graces or as the co-redeemer with Christ. And those are idolatrous attempts to lift Mary above the position that she occupies. She's not that. But she is, as Dee said, a tough act to follow for all who would follow Christ. She should be honored as a model of humility and obedience and belief. One who is without parallel or equal in letting God use her to accomplish his great work. Martin Luther, the great reformer, in explaining the proper place of Mary, has her say, I am only the workshop in which God operates. The workshop in which God operates. Only the workshop. But what a place, what a person for God's purposes and glory. The church historian and theologian Timothy George captures Mary as the prototype of all who believe in Jesus. He calls her the first to hear the word of God in Jesus and respond in faith. He wrote, Mary was a disciple of Christ before she was his mother. For had she not believed, she would not have conceived. Mary was surprised when God chose her to play this important part in his plan. And we can't help but be surprised when God chooses us as he's chosen us here at Nova to be part of his big plan for winning the world to him. The wonder and mystery of it all. That first God has a plan to win the world to himself and then that he sees us as part of that plan, as co-workers together, to see that people hear, to see that people know, to spread the glad tidings of a great joy that a Savior has been born. The marvelous things that God wants to see accomplished in the expansion of his kingdom. As it says in 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's always that way when God uses people to do his work. The needed component is not ability. He can use and will use the littlest of us. 
The needed component is not ability, it's availability. When it comes to the people that God uses, it's not the brightest and the best by human standards. It is simply the obedient. Now, here's the way we usually put it together. God wants something done, so he has a plan. And so he checks out men and women and boys and girls, and then he selects special ones to accomplish his his plan. He, He says, that's the one, or those are the ones that I'm going to use. And then he goes to that one or to those ones that he has chosen, and he taps them on the shoulder, and he says, you're it. And then he equips them and guarantees their success in the venture that he has planned. Well, that's one way of looking at it. But consider this alternative picture of how it works. God has a plan, but instead of choosing specific people to accomplish it, he uses anybody who's willing. And so, in effect, people themselves choose to be used by God. Think of it. We choose to be used by God. The key is the will, not the skill, but the will, the availability, not the ability. And that will that is placed in the hands of God. Not the skill that God places in our hands, but our wills as we place them in the hand of God. Availability, not ability. The question is hardly ever, are you able? The question is almost always, are you willing? Mary, let's be like her. Not just surprise that God has a plan and we're part of it, but surrender, submission to his plan, to him. Joyfully and simply saying yes to the Lord's will and the Lord's way. Let it be to me, just as you have said. Amen. Let us pray. Stand with me, please.